Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. And today we're here to hope, hopefully help convert you to our point of view on season three, episode three, chapter 19 of The Mandalorian, titled The Convert. How was that, Tom? Was my like A plus pun, B, C, I, I would, rate I would say that, that that's that's probably an A. You, you really had a long way to go, but you made it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it. This is. I'm excited to hear what you guys think of this episode because it. Um, mm. Season three has been very interesting so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, very interesting. Uh, it, I mean, we we were we were very excited about what happened at the end of last week. We do get a little bit of follow up there. Some interesting plot points. Um, but before we get into that, um, before we get too much into the details, Tom, you just want to tell people what we're going to be reviewing today. Sure, we are going to be reviewing The Mandalorian Chapter 19, The Convert, directed by Lee Isaac Chung and written by Jon Favreau and Noah Clore. In the episode, on Coruscant, former Imperials find amnesty in the New Republic. Now, the thing that I find fascinating is that's the synopsis of the episode, but it brings up nothing about Bo-Katan and Din Djarin of what they found on Mandalore. But it's nice to see they pick up exactly where they left well, off from last week. I, I mean, well, it, it does. Go der- ahead. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think it doesn't reveal anything, right? I think we. Well, it 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 reveals nothing, but it's a show about the Mandalorian. But the synopsis is Imperials on the New Republic. Uh, Imperial well, Amnesty in the New Republic. Yeah, it's this kind of reminds you know some, some a lot of shows um, will. I think, you know, like The Last of Us is a great example, right? Everybody's been raving about the show. And, you know, occasionally they'll have these episodes just take place in, in a different, either it's a flashback or it shows you, you know, mm-hmm. about these other characters or whatever. It's, it's very common with, uh, you know, various shows, especially a lot of the prestige shows lately. And uh, this is kind of that for The Mandalorian, I feel like, where we get... They almost like pull a, a book of Boba Fett in some ways, where you know. I, I was almost gonna say that. Yeah, and, and in many ways, we almost get like a, what felt almost like an episode of Andor in some ways. Not 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 in every way, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it's very interesting. But we do. I'm excited to dive into more of that. But we do get a bit more from the continuation from last week, right? I think the the most interesting to, thing to me is that Bo. Bo-Katan does not tell Mandalorian, the, the you know, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, what mm-hmm. she saw, right? Were you guys expecting that? I wasn't, but it, the, I think the question becomes, does that cult actually believe that history? If they are that much of a cult, do they actually believe that the mythosaurus still exists or is it still just the quote-unquote myth, like, like Bo-Katan thought it was a myth? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm really curious what what her angle is going forward. I mean, I she seems to be coming out of her depressive episode in a lot of ways. Um, and she's almost on the cusp of like a religious experience. 
Um, a lot of, I think, what we saw in the previous episode and in this episode is along those lines. But part of me wondering, like, does she not tell Din because she knows how important the Mythosar is and she already had the Darksaber taken away from her and she doesn't want this taken away too, perhaps? I think that's it. I think that's exactly it. I think she realizes this is her shot. This is her opportunity. Like, the Darksaber alone was not enough to reunite the Mandalorian, you know, the Mandalorians. Um, and, you know, as she mentions in the last episode, Mandalore the Great, again, awesome reference, right? Back to the, back to Legends. He united the Mandalorians for the first time by conquering the Mythosaur. And so when she sees a Mythosaur, I think she's starting to plan in her mind, this is how she gets, she be, she she reunites Mandalore and, and leads it. And I don't think she... As much as she helps Din at times, that she goes and saves his life and and whatnot, I don't think she trusts him. I don't think she wants. And if we're, if we're being honest, right, she met him in season two, and they worked together a bit, but she doesn't know him that well. He has the dark saber right now. She does not. She can't get it back from him without dueling him. The Mythosar is her ticket, and I and I for that reason, I think she is not telling anyone and it's she will but not it, tell anyone until she can fi- figure it out it is interesting though and the thing that gives me a little bit of pause is it's she's not acting out of pure naked ambition so to speak because if she was i mm-hmm. think she would challenge in and i think right. like we saw in the previous episode you know there are two different journeys into the mines like she would probably win mm-hmm. she's just she's a better mandalorian and a better soldier than he is so she could take the Darksaber if she was willing to fight Din, but she's mm-hmm. not. Yep. And she's already yep. spoken kind of at length to, uh, you know, the infighting of Mandalore's past. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see where she goes this season. Um, and it, it definitely feels like that, you know, she is now the, the tertiary, secondary character, tertiary character, I guess, if you include Grogu. Um but yeah, I just I'm really curious where they take her. Like, does she go full villain and you know fight Din Djarin in the end, or does she work with him? Or I don't know. I just I have so many questions. I I agree. I I don't think she'll like you said, like you mentioned, Stephen. I don't think she'll try to challenge Din and just steal the dark saber if she can avoid it. Um, even though she is the superior fighter, I think she sees the Mythosar as maybe that ticket. Um, but. Or maybe she's going to try to conquer the Mythosaur first. I don't know. Very interested to see what happens. Um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. You know, it's it's very very interesting. And, and and later, right? She she really does seem to be biding her time because later, and this happens at the end of the episode, like kind of bookend the episode with a little bit of um, you know the Mandalorians. At the end of the episode, we see her join you know, go with Din because her home has been destroyed. Well, and actually that's a great sequence I'd love to talk about, but mm-hmm, that's uh, great her, her home has been destroyed. She has nowhere to go. And so she goes with Din to this unnamed Mandalorian planet that we saw at the beginning of the season premiere. And because she jumped in to rescue Din, she's technically bathed in the waters of the living waters of Mandalore. And so now mm-hmm. by creed, she's been redeemed. Now I've seen, you know, I don't think she's, I don't think she's re- really, really joining the man, you know, the children of the watch at all. I don't think she's the necessarily the convert in the, you know, no, and- uh, in the episode title, but. 
And it is interesting. She's biding her time. Yeah, and that part I agree with you, William, because she did sit there, and when the armor did turn to her and say, well, you've bathed in the water too, then you are Mandalore. But but Bo did say, I, I don't walk your way. Yep. It seemed like she only had the helmet on in honor of you know the request of Din Djarin to basically keep the peace, mm-hmm. keep her helmet on while we take care of this. And she's still, in my opinion, keeping the helmet on as, as you know, the request of Din, she may in their eyes be Mandalorian again, but she has said she does not walk that way. And when they all said, this is the way, who's the one that didn't say anything. You never heard her voice say that when they all said, this is the way. Exactly. I think, and I think she knows she she has to, she needs somewhere to stay right now. And she's not going to rock the boat. She's going to play it out. Like it doesn't really hurt to leave your helmet on for a little bit. But you're right. She didn't say this is the way she didn't. She and she she immediately denies, you know, them and says, hey, I don't I don't follow your creed. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, I, I'm very interested to see where where she goes this season. And, and another way to look at it, if she does con- conquer the mythosaur, she is able to bring everybody back under Mandalorian rule. This is a way for her to start. Right. Because if she sits here and takes her helmet off, then. How's that going to help her when she conquers the mythosaur, gets everybody back on her side? The watch are going to sit there and look at her and say, well, you're a heretic because you removed your helmet in our presence after we told you mm-hmm. that you bathed in the water and you are a Mandalorian again. Yeah, that's honestly a great point. Like it's she's doing it, I think, more for political reasons than anything else right now. Um, but, you know, it's 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 great to see that Din has been officially redeemed. You know, he. We we had a feeling at the end of the last episode, and it was confirmed at the beginning. Uh, I was a little surprised that apparently he just fell into the pool, and I thought he was like pulled under by the mythosaur. I assumed at least, but I guess he just it was deeper than <laughs> than he thought. Well, you know, you like your step, you're walking into a pool. You know, you don't realize there's not a step there, and all of a sudden you're under a bunch of water. It's heavy armor, so it makes yep. sense. You know, you fall. That's yeah, very. Yeah. It happened, and he didn't have a jetpack on to help him get out. Right. But you know it's good he brought the the vial of water as proof, uh, and that's really what convinces the armorer. And I love seeing you know Paz Vizsla right so skeptical. He didn't he did not want to see Din redeemed. Uh, it was kind of forced to. Well, that, eventually. that's the other that's the other thing that's going to be fun to see how it plays out because Paz Vizsla he has the heritage of the family with the dark saber. And now you've got mm-hmm. Bo-Katan, who technically, within the eyes of this clan of Mandalorians, has been redeemed. So not only does he have originally Din Djarin as that one I'm going to butt heads with, but now he's got two. Especially when it comes mm-hmm. to Bo. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I also wonder, how much do you think he knows about Pre Vizsla? And like, I'm sure he knows of him, right? He's probably a cousin or something someone in house Vizsla, but like in the clone wars bo-katan worked very closely with pre Vizsla and then ended up turning her back on uh on the watch and on death watch at the time as they were called so i'm sure there's a lot of extra when he when he hears bo-katan's clan name Kreese, i'm sure he's extra um, he's even more upset with Bo. Let's just say. 
I'm I'm sure he knows. I would be very surprised if he doesn't know the history between the Vislas and yeah. and and Bo Katan's house. Because it seems like with the Mandalorian, they are so rich in history and how their clan is. And even Mando said to Grogu that every Mandalorian can trace their way back to Mandalore. If they can trace their way that far back, then they know the history of their clan and their family and their members going that far back. He knows. He has to know. I I suspect we may be dealing with like a separate Vizsla clan or group, though. Um, just my, like my read on a lot of like, yeah, he's kind of a grump, you know, in a lot of ways, but I, I don't think we're going to go too deep into the, I don't even know what to, how to describe it. Like that level of, uh, you know, Mandalorian infighting for lack of a better word. I think it's mythos or something like that. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I have like because it always reminds me of like the famous like Django Fett seasons comic, which is fantastic. I I don't think that's what we're gonna do here. Is my guess. I think this is gonna be its own, you know, like Bogaton versus the you know her the Dinjarin's cult, instead of like getting back into like individual clan battles and things like that. Yeah. Can yeah, we, can we that talk would about make spaceships sense. now. We talk about the spaceships. Yes, oh, yes. So wait, wait. <laughs> I should jump on that one first, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, take it. <laughs> I, and I don't know what else. Like they're, you know, they're returning from Mandalore. They're heading back, and Tie interceptors pop out of nowhere, which we should talk about as well. And just such a great sequence of, you know, uh, Dinjarin getting dropped off for a hot landing to grab his starfighter, and then just really upping their game, I think, in a lot of ways on just a fantastic dogfight between like Bo-Katan, Viz, uh, not Vizzle, excuse me, Dinjarin and the Tire Interceptors. Um, I just, it was just awesome, like all around. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I, I also think it was about time we got to see some kind of battle like that because it's been a while since we've seen ties or any kind of space thing happening. And to see, to see Dinjarin just barely make it to his N1 and you, you could just tell us, like, as soon as he got there, it was full throttle out. And then basically the landing platform's gone. So it was it was fun yeah. to see all that stuff again. I guess broadly, <laughs> excuse me, the thing I'm mo I've been most excited about is just I feel like they're I don't want to say discovering, but like rediscovering what a space battle in Star Wars looks like. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of a lot of the battles we got like in the sequel trilogy because so many of them are take like what I call like modern movie like shaky cam or, you know, quick cuts between different ships as they're flying around. Um, and you lose the ability to like understand the scope of the battle. Like if you go and watch like Re the Return of the Jedi, uh, you know, Battle of the Second Death Star is a great example. You know, long shots as ships move in and out of it. Like it, it gives you a better picture of what's going on. And I feel like with Andor's uh, that was it second to last episode of Luthen? And now this, like, they're just nailing it. Um, like, this is what I want Star Wars Space Battles to be like, and just, like, inject it into my veins. Give me more. I don't know. Give me a movie, maybe, with, I don't know, Rogue Squadron. That could be cool. I'm not better. <laughs> but just one, one so cool. It really was. It was such a good sequence. Just the way they were playing cat and mouse, uh, uh, weaving in around the the kind of the cliffs on Kalevala and... 
it, it almost looked like Aldani in some ways. Uh, kind of got Aldani mm-hmm. vibes from it the did. the terrain, it, but it's just oh, it's so good. It is. There was also there were a couple of shots I was like, is that um I can't remember what's the name of the planet Luke's on um and the oh, actual, Octu, yes, yeah, like that's the other one it reminded me looks, of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that's okay. Like it made for a great backdrop, you know, and. Um, like Bo Katan's like uh, one wing one eighty was oh that amazing. was oh, cool. awesome. chef's kiss <laughs> yeah Just, oh absolutely you know, they nailed it no notes yeah yeah what, so what, what a way to end that battle before really all hell hell breaks loose mm. yeah oh and, and that's the thing because you just when you think they've won they've destroyed all the ties they're celebrating they're gonna head back to the base and then tie bombers come out of nowhere and just decimate Bo's family castle. It's, it's, oh man, it's, the Mandalorian is not shy uh, with destroying locations and ships, which I actually, I like, I like that they're not, they're not afraid to just wipe things off the board, whether it's the Razor Crest or now Bo-Katan's castle or or whatnot. They've, they definitely have a history of kind of get, or, you know, in theory, IG eleven, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know. But they they're not afraid to get rid of characters and um and, and raise the stakes a little bit more, which is which is nice. Mm-hmm. And who do you think sent the ties? There's a discussion that maybe you know Bo-Katan says that, she's upset a lot of Imperial warlords, but then later she makes a comment about all this how there's a lot of ships for an Imperial warlord. Do you have any theories? So there's, I think, two pieces. One is these are tie interceptors. They don't have hyperspace, you know, capability. Um, so they they have to be local. I was hoping we'd see like a star destroyer or something in the distance that would, you know, give a little more detail on exactly what's going on. But that that's okay. You know, I don't begrudge them for not showing it. Um, we do, and we'll talk about like the rest of the episode with uh, Doctor Pershing. But like we do get a dr- a name drop on Gideon. And it would not surprise me if Gideon is still involved. Like we know he was involved in, I think, the destruction of Mandalore previously, as I mm-hmm. recall. Um, so I, that would be my bet is that we're just seeing more Gideon here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But but the question the question becomes because it was hinted at later that that the rumor is he didn't make it into let's say the New Republic prison. He kind of escaped. If that is a quote unquote rumor. And if it is true that at this point in the show, he is in New Republic prison and who's actually running, let's say, his remnant to have that much behind it. Because in some cases, I would think that if a, let's say, moth were to just disappear, that remnant would end up, you know, infighting and breaking apart. There has to be somebody either over him or under him that is keeping that remnant together. Yeah. To either, yeah. Or maybe yeah, another warlord either, steps in. But yeah. I, just to keep and actually, together. I'm really sorry. That's the, the, the other thing I really appreciated was talking about the warlords. Like my bread and butter in Legends was always like the New Republic era, which dealt with a lot of you know Imperial warlords. Like that was the specific term they got used. So having that brought back was also fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope we get more of whatever this Imperial interference is. Um, I, I suspect we will, given you know all the other hints and things that we've been getting. I think we will too. Yeah, I, would- I mean. The obvious, I feel like the obvious answer is that it's Moff Gideon. I, I kind of hope it's not in some ways. Um, I do want to see Moff Gideon again. I, I love him. I love his character. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they did they have now set up a couple in the first episode and then again you know we get a moff gideon name drop and they say he was you know taken to a war tribunal in the new republic and then in this episode they talk about how really no one knows his fate there's rumors that he escaped on route in route to the war tribunal others say that the new republic hooked him up to a mind flare which by the way is a second reference to that device we actually we originally mm-hmm. heard about that device in the season one finale when Cara Dune mentions that, you know, if she surrenders, Moff Gideon will upload her to the Mind Flayer, and which, you know, Grief Cargo says is just a myth or propaganda. Um, but I, I think Moff Gideon will come back. But I, like you, Stephen, I kind of hope we get to see more of the Imperial Warlords. And, and then if we do, they're not just like one note, you know, mustache twirling kind of guys, but more closer to Moff Gideon in terms of their uh I mean it depends on who they are like we get Zinge mm-hmm. from the you know X-Wing series he did have a mustache and he did kind of do the whole mustache twirly thing so, you know, <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's true but I I think it would be it would be nice to see more more of the warlords I again though because I, this is not this isn't really a show about the new republic i wouldn't be surprised if it's just moff gideon wanting to get revenge mm-hmm. that's the easy answer and i feel like that's where they'll go but you know well I, since we're i was gonna say since we're talking about warlord it might be good to transition into the next part when it comes to the doctor because that it's either gideon or somebody else who's kind of controlling what's happening in this because i don't believe that what's happening to dr pershing there's a purpose behind it and, I mean, and you kind of feel sorry for the guy. Go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. I, I feel like the first purpose is just, I think it's they're trying to underscore how incompetent the New Republic is. That um, part I agree with. Like, we start with Pershing giving a speech and, you know, the amnesty program. But then, like, we immediately find out that the, the way the amnesty program works is they, like, erase your identity in some ways. Like, he's got mm. just a number, which feels... Right. Like a horrible way to reintegrate someone into society. Uh, I was surprised they, every they they only refer to them by numbers. You yeah, know, their their designations. I was very surprised by that. Which you know, yes, the new Repu- their older public had clones, but uh, yeah, but, I, it, it is an odd choice. <laughs> it's an it's it's an odd choice because it it's it's making them. How how do you feel if you you're defeated? And you're trying to turn yourself around and you want to become part of the new Republic. So you want to have an identity because in the empire, you didn't have an identity yet. You go into the new Republic going, yay, new Republic. But now you're basically a number again when that was what you were before. Yeah. How are you going to integrate into that society if you're basically not moving forward and given an identity like Dr. Pershing? He had an actual name. He was an actual well, scientist. Officially, he couldn't do right? scientific things. Officially, he doesn't. Right. He's just amnesty scientist L52. That's very true. You know, officially. Now, and yeah. even for some of the other people he meets, uh, they're only identified by their numbers until the very end when we learn, you know, Elia Kane's real name. And so, right. yeah, it's, it, it is, it is very interesting to see how, to your point, Stephen, how the amnesty program works and how apparently they would take these individuals and put them in the, in the reintegration Institute, which sounds at least based on the way like Pershing and others describe it kind of not great. Like they talk about how that new housing is, is not great, much nicer than the reintegration Institute and how they don't want to get sent back to the reintegration Institute. Like it, it, well, and let's not forget that we've got the, the mind flyer machine, but don't worry. 
we don't have it set on Mind Flayer mode. It's a totally different device that actually is fine. And it's not it's mm-hmm. not called the Mind Flayer, right? It's just it's it's a yeah. it, you know, it's and a... I, I do get that like <laughs> look, any surgical device I am sure can be used inappropriately to cause massive amounts of harm. Mm-hmm. But there's just there's a lot of incompetence going on in the New Republic. And mm-hmm. I guess I'll say like this is this isn't uh feedback on the episode per se. Um, right. This builds pretty clearly to me off of what we've seen in, uh, you know, the sequel trilogy that the New Republic was basically useless. It is mm-hmm. kind of a bummer in my mind to see because, like, I want to like the New Republic. They do not give you a lot to like here. Well, it is yeah, yes. I think yeah. I would also, I'd also argue that, like, there, while you know, the Republic existed for a thousand generations before the Empire, the Empire really erased a lot of that, and so effectively what we have is this group of rebel fighters that's now in, in control of the galaxy. And I think they're trying to do the right thing. They want to do the right thing, but I think they just don't know how, right? They're, they're so new at this that I think they're making mis- missteps. And so uh, I, I, I suspect their You're, heart's in the right place for the most part. There are some that are not like well, the, like the, the aristocrats though, at the beginning, see... you know, who just mm-hmm. don't care. Yeah. They, but. they really didn't. Especially the one guy, I almost got drafted. You're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is we even, I think, see in this that like there's, it's not just that they're incompetent because A, we know that folks like Leia or Mon Mothma had an inordinate amount of experience with actual government, which I think is hard to explain away. And the scene with Pershing after his little speech where he's talking to various, I, I assume those are senators. Um, but there's one guy who even he's like the the non politically correct guy. Like, oh, like I I wish I could remember his specific line, but like, well, I, oh, sorry, like, be... we're not part of the empire now. I forget. Like, you know, I'm not supposed to say things like that. Right. Um, because they're yeah, very yeah. The empire, new public, all the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they're trying to imply that it, like, uh, it's not just that they're incompetent, but just that they didn't, in some ways, didn't affect meaningful change. It's surface level change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just, it's. I mean, even Elia Kane mentioned something similar. Like, Coruscant's basically the same. They just took down the cogwheels. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's it's a little bit of a bummer to see from like a story perspective of it. Just like, I I want to see the, the New Republic grow and struggle and succeed, even knowing that it ultimately will fail or, you know, so on. Like, we again get mentioned that the Alliance fleet is being disbanded and, you know, taken apart. Um, it just, I don't want, like, sorry, I'm going down the rat hole a little bit, but I'll, I'll say, like, I love seeing, getting this look inside the New Republic. I'm glad we got to see something like this. I really want to see more of it. I just also wish that it was, I, it didn't make the, the rebellion feel so pointless that, like, right. you know, five years I think... post-Return of the Jedi, they have already, you know, failed to make any meaningful change. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I think, sorry, that's right. I think I think that the frustrating thing for me is you you have right dropped into the center of the man uh, the Mandalorian an episode of Andor. But you got to see the competency and the planning and the execution and everything that happened in Andor, how all that was building to get to where it is now. You're looking at it just going. I kind of like what happened in Andor better than than this because it seemed like at that point you did see 
all that competency and how they were able to to pull it off. And, and you you're rooting for them because they know where they're going with it, and you wanted it to succeed. But now you get this, and you're like, oh. Uh, and again, ult- ultimately, we're working back towards the sequel trilogy, which is you know a new republic that doesn't realize that the first order is there and when it does realize it thinks they're totally fine and peaceful and there's nothing to worry about mm-hmm. such that the most famous of people in the new republic like leo organa or um i guess I mean, maybe not poe dameron i don't know if he's actually that famous at that point but like that they're like no this is not right if the new republic won't do something i'll leave and go help somewhere i can right. um, and you're very much seeing like the beginning of that nonchalance and like disconnect from reality here. Like there are so many places where it is very clear the new Republic is struggling. Like my other favorite example here is uh, Dr. Pershing's like therapy appointments. Yes. Um, where, you know, as he's being tempted to go back into his old life, um, there's that scene where the, he's the droid like, Oh, are you experiencing any uh, resentment towards the new Republic? And Pershing like, is sitting there brooding and doesn't answer. And it's like, mm, clearly there's something going on. And the droid's like, sorry, did you not hear me? And he's like, oh, no, I'm fine. And they're like, okay, have a nice day. Bye. And it's just like, mm, yeah. maybe if you'd had a real person in the room or cared about any of this program, like you might've spotted this earlier. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I think the new Republic could and should be doing a far better job where, you know, versus like, yeah, whether it's having like real people instead of just droids that are have no idea, can't see the internal struggle that's happening all over Doctor Pershing's face, you know, uh, for whatever reason, like the, the these parole droids are not the best, um, mm-hmm. you know. But I guess also like trying to set it into context, right? It's the Empire is there's still Imperial warlords out there. The they're yeah they're just starting to disband the fleet, but. Coruscant, I think, was retaken in six years after the Battle of Yavin. So that's, what, three years after Return of the Jedi. Um, and we're now somewhere around nine, uh, eight to ten years after. Because I think the what Mandalorian started five years after Return of the Jedi. So I put us like eight uh, ABY. So they're probably like eight years after. So I guess it's only been two to three years since they've taken Coruscant. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the people who lived on Coruscant, they're just like, well, the leadership changed, but not us. And th- those are the people we see in, like, the Galaxy's Opera House, which is awesome to see again. And so mm-hmm. I I can see how even if you have highly competent people at the very top level, like Mon Mothma, like Leia, it's a giant galaxy, an enormous government. And they're trying to rebuild the government from scratch and they they only have a small group and they have to bring in a whole bunch of new people, some of whom aren't that competent or some of them who are not maybe to have the right motivations. And so I can see how it'd be a very messy transition and it would take time to work out. I mean, as we know, they ultimately are not able to work it out, which is a bummer as well. Cause like you, Steven, I want to see the new Republic succeed, but it, it, I can also, it also makes sense, I guess how it would be, you know, not, not doing so well. Like they're like, Hey, we want to bring these Imperials in, you know, we want to be, we want to be nice. We're not just going to kill the former, former Imperial Imperials or throw them in jail. Right. We're going to, we're going to help try to, um, help them reintegrate into society and, and, you know, help the new Republic. All that's great on the surface, 
But then they're like, oh, we don't have enough resources, so we're just going to get a bunch of droids to be parole officers. And, you know, how what's the cheapest or easiest way to make this happen? Okay, we're going to have this, you know, reintegration institute and then put them in amnesty housing or they can't leave, you know, go, go very far. And it, I think it's because, and that's probably because they can't track them, right? They don't, they don't quite trust them enough yet. And so I see how, I could see how, like, they would ultimately land in all these decisions. But, yeah, it's... It it is it's sad to see, and yet I loved getting the glimpse at, into how it all works. Well, I, I I think when it comes to not trusting, and also the push to have Doctor Pershing make the decision that he did later, is when he's sitting there at his desk and he's getting all these these cards to just start archiving. Then he comes to the realization that all the stuff is going to get archived, but it's going to be destroyed. And he's like, "Well, wait a minute." He's telling a supervisor, "You know, I I, I can show you how that we can." in so many words, reintegrate this and make this more useful instead of being something for bad, I can show you how this can be for good. Same thing with cloning. He was making that argument with us, look, okay, in so many words, cloning is bad, but if we could take that bit of cloning and maybe let's say, I think it was, you can clone a heart because I lost my mother because her heart failed. You could just clone a heart. You could have saved her or you could clone this, you could clone that. There's a way to use the technology for good that it was trying, he, he was trying to to show the Republic and I think this is the way this shows the Republic, okay, you know, it is another bit of incompetency to where if you have somebody who has an idea that maybe we can take something that was this way, but we can change it for good instead of just destroy it, then you can understand his frustration when he's going to a parole person, a droid, and the droid can't read his face and he can't sit, sit there and say, look, can you just tell your supervisor, oh, oh wait a minute. I did bring my supervisor and the supervisor was like, well, wait a minute, why don't you submit here a piece of paper into this person to go to this, to this, but I don't think anybody from the reintegration has ever done that before here. I don't even know if I could go check. Oh, I got to go on my way. Cause I'm a little bit late. You, you can see his breaking point at this point mm-hmm. and, and the frustration that, that pushes him the way it does. I think, he and legit- the incompetency. I think he legitimately wants to help. It sounds like at least I don't, I don't, and I totally agree. I totally right? agree. Yeah. And so, but he, he's get. I think he's seeing some of the places where I think they're in, in many ways, probably the new Republic is right, is correct to say, don't, if you were working on something previously, maybe you should just start over, start fresh, go work on something else. Like don't continue with anything you were working on under the empire. It's probably not, you know, unless you have like very careful supervision. Um, especially when it comes to cloning, I actually liked how they talked about how he talked about later. The cloning, it has a lot of, um, it's very controversial. Right. And, uh, he talked a little bit more about how the Kaminoans can clone an individual, but they don't really know how to actually combine elements from different strands to create, you know, like a, a new heart, for example. And he wants to be able to help other people so that they're, they don't have loved ones die like his mom. And, and so, like, I think all that is, I think he has a noble goal. He just is very easily swayed by people like, Alia Kane, and he's seeing how the New Republic is maybe not could benefit from you know they're they're not really doing they're they're throwing away valuable technology and they're not really benefiting from what he has to offer, and that's where he starts to make while well, his his heart's in the right place he makes the wrong decision, you know. Okay, so that's the thing I want to 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 bring up here. He makes a wrong decision. He was suckered into it, but. Do you think that Aliyah Kane is 
working for the Republic? I know this is a loaded question because I know what you guys are going to say. Or is she working for the other side, you know, double agent type thing? I think she's, is it double agent or triple agent? I'm actually not sure. I think yeah, she it, is it's confusing. working for the New Republic. Like, I think she reports him in, uh, after tempting him. And is, uh, but doesn't, I assume her report doesn't imply that she was the original instigator, but instead is just underlining the lengths he went to try and redo his formal research, mm -hmm. just being, you know, a good Republic citizen. And then I think ultimately she's probably working for Gideon or whoever else is involved in the cloning program. And I assume because they want to ensure, like, because the mind flayer is supposed to erase your mind is what they kind of imply. Um, or cause him to forget who he is or something along those lines. And Pershing obviously knows a lot about what Gideon was working towards, what Palpatine was working towards. And I don't think they would want people in the Republic to become aware of that. Um, there's a little bit of a gap in that, like, how do they know that he hasn't already, like, spilled the beans on all of it? Um, but I I think she's, a sense, I think she's pretending to have been redeemed in the amnesty program, but it's actually continuing to work for the empire is my, my, mm -hmm. my I, think so, I think so too. I yeah, think, I, yeah, I agree too. Cause why else would she turn up the, the power basically on the, the mind flare at the very end when he's getting, you know, they're trying to help soothe him and, and, you know, help him out. It, it seems like a high giant risk also to <laughs> not like hard change the hardware on it. So you can't, increase the power uh well it's not but they all, leave. they all just leave while he's sitting there under the sink don't you think somebody should really be there other than one person to supervise and make sure it doesn't go haywire this yeah. is one of those places where like i get why they do it because it's it's the needs of the story but i can't help but compare it to like you know if if we if like the united states you know had the mind flayer device or our medical technology was similar there's like, so the moment, what, like, what would happen? What's going to happen? Pershing's going to wake up and he's not going to have any memories of things. Clearly something went wrong and they're going to have no idea what happened. Where in reality, I think you would like have footage of the device. You'd have multiple operators. You would have logs of, oh, interesting. After we all left the room, except for one person, it shows that the power was increased by, you know, 20%. That seems weird. Like, all the, I, I assume we're not actually going to find, that no one will find out that Kane was responsible, but they mm -hmm. really should. Like this, this, this seems basic. Like you should be able to figure out this kind of thing. So the the way I see it, the blackness that's around each each ear, they're not going to figure out that somebody turned up the dial a little bit too far because no, I that, I just uh, we don't know how it happened. This has never this has never occurred before. And I look, mean, he's got a smile you, on his face. Do you think he's? Do you think he's lost all of his memories? Or do you think he has been wiped? That's a good question because it's I, it's almost one of two ways. It's either he is completely mind wiped or somehow, some way, this machine brought back any kind of memory he had of his imperialness. And he is now stronger with the urge to help the imperials than ever before. I mean, this is... This is a very interesting question to see how it plays out in the next episode. Because I feel like I feel like the Empire would probably want him back unless they think he's a lost cause and will instead spill information to the New Republic or something. 
in which case it's better to wipe him than I don't know. I, I yeah, it, it's it's very fascinating. I, it has to have a big a, be a bit of big importance because mm-hmm. I like Doctor Pershing, but he was a you know kind of an off screen character in a couple episodes in season one, or not off screen, but hardly on screen. Right in season one, we see him. You know, he he shows up when Din takes grogu to the client drops him off and he starts to experiment on grogu and then mando comes back and rescues him again and he saves dr pershing's life and dr pershing you know heads off and that's where he, you know he gets his ear hurt and everything and that's why he keeps like touching it in this episode and and that's it and, and so to bring him back i the actor Omida tani mentioned that we learned more about Dr. Pershing this season. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. You know, I wonder, I wonder how the a whole episode focus on was the last thing I was expecting. Um, and it's very fascinating, but I think they have to explain how it, how it's so relevant to the story, you know? And so I think, I think they're going to have to bring it up more later this season. And I feel like just wiping him, I don't know. Like it, it feels like it's, Maybe Doctor, maybe you know Gideon is just trying to prevent his research from getting out, but it seems like there has to be more to the story. Yeah, I agree. I I expect we'll see more of this shortly. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, but it, the this episode is a very interesting one because you know not only do we get to see and learn about the amnesty program, but it's really really dive deeper into Dr. Pershing, right? And his character and how he's dealing with life post empire and how Coruscant is, um, you know, post empire. Um, and it's really, it's really fascinating to see and how he kind of starts to develop these, these friendships with some of the, you know, the uh, like amnesty officer G 68, for example, who we later find out is a Kane. And, you know, she starts to lure him in by giving him his favorite food that he mentions, you know, the, 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 those yellow travel biscuits and then, you know, takes him to, uh, the monument plaza, which was a cool, it was a neat scene as well. Um, okay. The, 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 I, the popsicles looked very fake. <laughs> uh, but aside well, from yeah. that, it was a cool scene and I, I, I have a feeling it was made so that Disney can like how long until those popsicles show up at Disney World, right? <laughs> it, was, it was I I will admit it was a cool thing, but cool thing, but this is where I had my problem with the episode uh-huh. because I I I know we've changed music directors for this series, and the original guy who was there for the first two seasons is not doing the music anymore. But what bothered me about Monument Plaza, I swear to God, I thought I was an Epcot Center. <laughs> I, I've been to Epcot Center for, I've been many times, but the music in there, I'm just like, this is something literally out of a Disney, Disney theme park. Well, cause it sounded too happy. And it was, it was, I understand the fanatic energy. I understand where they were. I understand you had the magician, you had the guy stilts, you had popsicles, which were funny because somebody pointed out online that she had a red popsicle. Oh, is that a, is that a harbinger of things to come? And then to be tricked into possibly t- touching the mountain, which I thought was pretty funny, especially the part where the robot comes up and says, no littering. Okay. Well, I thought that, that was cute. I feel like that's the first the, the instance. The music thing bothered me. In the well, so you, man, yeah, lots, lots to unpack there. So the side note, the, the music, you know what song that was, right? 
It's no. It's March of the Resistance from The Force Awakens. It's a that different was. version, yeah, of March of the Resistance from The Force Awakens. It's like a happier, more carnival version of it, but it's okay. Interesting. Yeah, I heard Snoke's theme. I heard Snoke's theme. Yeah, it's dun dun da da dun. Yeah, dun da da dun 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 I'm sorry. It was just. It was just too. I'm sorry. It was it was too happy and Disneyfied. I, I thought just, it that's fit perfectly because that's that's it. what it's supposed to be, really. Um, yeah, but it's just I I guess I guess because I've been someplace so many times, that's just what it reminded me of, <laughs> and completely, completely took me out of the scene until the point in which he tried to touch the mount, yeah. which I thought was pretty funny. No, I mean it's also cool to see Monument Plaza. We've seen it in the Clone Wars before. Um, I think it was in the actually the. Um, one of the Satine arcs, right? A uh, Satine arc uh, of the Clone Wars. We saw Monument Plaza, but I feel like it. it's much... In the Clone Wars, it was... I feel like I didn't really get to... Like, all the pieces were there, and it is the exact same location, but I feel like you get a much better feel for it in in this episode, uh, including, you know, the peak of Umate, the, the largest mountain on Coruscant, the only place you can see the planet surface um, anywhere uh, on Coruscant. And so I liked all those things. It's like that that's from the expanded universe, right? The tip of you made uh, from legends. And so I, I like that they brought that in here as well. And so, yeah, it was, it was a neat, aside from the popsicles, right? I thought, I thought the whole sequence was, uh, was, was fun. What would you think? Yeah. Steven? Nope. I agree. I, I thought the representation of the mountain, just like, it's a very cool visual that really sells what Coruscant is. Like you imagine, you know, if, that was Mount Everest. You'd be like, oh, like that, that is, that helps sell the scale of what Coruscant actually is. Um, mm. I didn't like the popsicles. They looked funky to me. They <laughs> CGI. Um, but, you know, I don't think that's, that's not a hot take or anything like that. So right. speaking of deep cuts in the, uh, in, in, in legends though, um, you know, there were a couple of references to, uh, we got a reference to Bendu Day when, you know, in the office uh and tongs day and uh you know while you might be you might think it's actually a reference to rebels right with bendu where we actually see bendu uh it's actually uh, a reference to way further back um where when the uh, i think it was one of the source books the galactic standard standard calendar was introduced because they have a five day week and it goes prime day syntax day tongs day gel day and Bendu Day. Uh, so Bendu Day is basically their, I guess they're like Saturday. So I don't was was he working on was Pershing working on the weekend? I don't really know. Um, either way, um, it, it's kind of cool to see some get some deep deep references to the Star Wars days of the week, which I don't think we've ever seen anywhere else in in live action or or animation days, am i right yeah tongs day it was a great it was a great little line <laughs> so I especially loved especially loved when she was just like yeah we'll work on that yes so, I, so let's let's talk about that right elia kane convinces him i think it started with him touching the mountain she wanted to see if he would follow you know her suggestions and then she eventually is like well you want to you need a mobile lab station so you can continue your research for the good of the new republic of course um i know where to get one and they head out on an air train and they have to leave their their uh the, their designated perimeter and go steal some uh equipment 
what did you, Steven, what did you, what did you think of this whole? I had, I had so many questions at first because my initial reaction was, okay, so you're going to go steal a lab. How are you going to carry that back? That doesn't seem right. And I, I thought they did a, a decent job of explaining it. Like it's not, they're not getting a literal lab. They're just getting, you know, pieces and things. Um, but that whole sequence made me laugh because I was just like, how are you going to take an entire lab? Um, and I feel like they should have just like bought train tickets. Like you just buy a ticket on the train. They don't check ID usually. Like maybe Coruscant's different, but like based on everything else we're seeing from the Empire or sorry, from the New Republic, like detail does not seem to be in vogue at the moment. <laughs> I Yeah, but if they're, if they're supposed to have stayed in a designated area, unless they had... Um... False ID. How are they going to buy a, a ticket to get onto the train? I mean, how much can a ticket cost? Like, it can't be that bad. Well, it right? can't be that bad. And on top of that, you've got guys who are checking tickets that once you start moving away from them, don't say, hey, where are you going? Stop. Or even attempt to go faster. They just casually walk by everybody yeah. and just wait for you to jump off a train. It's not suspicious, especially not when those people are going to, you know, abandon Imperial Star Destroyers. No reason. I mean, I guess they did get caught, but I think it's implied that that's because of Kane, not because mm -hmm. of the droid reporting the clearly suspicious behavior. Yeah. Right. No, I think it definitely was a lie of Kane. And, and this is, again, where it's interesting, where she intentionally, she intentionally set him up. So that he would try to, you know, break the rules of the amnesty program so that he would, I think, get taken to the mind flare and she could turn up the the dial, basically. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm I'm very curious to see where they uh where they take this, right? She has to play a bigger role, I would imagine. But that's the that's the other question. A bigger role on what side? Because you feel sorry for Pershing when he's sitting there in the in the device going, I was set up. I was set up. You feel just about as bad as Admiral Rampart, where he's sitting there saying, I was set up. It was orders. It was this. It was that. And he still gets taken away. And here you've got Pershing on the table saying, I was set up. It's like, come on, you, you set me up. And I hate to say it. I got to I got to take his side on this. He was set up. He didn't have to do it. But he was flat out set up. Why didn't they believe that she set him up? And and but then again, there goes the story. If they believed him, what would happen? His brain wouldn't be wiped or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm very curious to see what happens. The ultimately. So I have a I have a theory actually building on top of friend of the show, Bruce Gibson's theory. Um I think back when Book of Boba Fett came out, right? He he speculated that maybe those two episodes, the Mandalorian episodes in Book of Boba Fett, were taken from season three and put into Book of Boba Fett. Now that could be a variety of reasons for that, right? It could be maybe they they wanted Mando and Grogu to team up with Boba Fett at the end, and they couldn't explain why Grogu and Mando were back together, and they're like, well, let's just take the first two episodes and plop it into Book of Boba Fett. Um, could be the episodes were ready earlier and they need more time for the rest of season three. I don't know. Um, but it definitely kind of felt like maybe they took those Mandalorian episodes and dropped them into Book of Boba Fett. And that was Bruce's theory. 
after watching this episode and, and watching the season premiere of season three of Mandalorian, part of me wonders if they look, they, they you know, the way it works in the television business, right, is you, you order a set number of episodes and you have to deliver on those episodes. And Lucasfilm has an eight episode order for the Mandalorian that they've promised to Disney and, and everything. And yes, same company, but that's kind of how it works, right? Hey, we have eight weeks of new Star Wars content for you on Disney Plus type of thing. Um, and when they took those two episodes of season three and moved them into The Mandalorian, it's very possible they're like, oh, shoot, we now need two more episodes of The Mandalorian. Well, what are we going to do? And one of those episodes was they could kind of, you know, kind of create well, that, not too much expense because it's basically recapping um the Book of Boba Fett, and that's the season premiere. And another one of those episodes, I think, was this one. And the reason for that is that, you know, they've already done Andor. They've already figured out how to make Coruscant relatively cheaply. Yes, it's newer, different environments, but, like, the the challenge of how do you build Coruscant on a television budget has been solved for the most part. A lot of those, um, you know, environments have been built and, and like, the, in the background and, and that sort of thing. And on top of that, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Pershing and Elijah Kane, they are much, much cheaper to pay uh, the, the, you know, the actors who play those characters than someone like Pedro Pascal or, um, uh, you know, Katie Sackoff or whomever. Uh, and so, and there's, there's, they have, well, we got a good action sequence at the beginning. A lot of the middle is just talking and like environments and it's, it's very interesting and compelling. I'm not, don't, not downplaying the episode, but I, it's felt like a, a, a relatively less expensive, not cheap, but less expensive episode to produce overall. And so I, I, I have a theory that that's where this episode came from. And Kathleen Kennedy has previously say, stated that elements of Rangers of the New Republic, the canceled series starring Gina Carano, might have made would, would eventually potentially make their way into the Mandalorian. And I also wonder if maybe this plot point was supposed to be in Rangers, and they brought like maybe Gideon's escape and what it's like in the new Republic after they brought it into Mandalorian. That's, that's my theory. What do you, what do you guys think? So many questions. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Like it, you're describing a good mix of, you know, uh, I'm blanking on the word, like production realities and taking advantage of what you've got. Like I could hundred percent see that. It also explains the the quality difference between Book of Boba Fett and the two Mandalorian episodes inside of Book of Boba yep. Fett. So not in the least bit surprised. I could be completely off base, but that, that's just my, I was like, hmm, as I was thinking about it more, it, this was certainly an enjoyable episode. Don't get me wrong, but it's, um, it would explain why it felt it's such a drastic turn, you know, from what the rest of the Mandalorian is and both Book of Boba Fett and now, Mandalorian season three have had these like, by the way, we're going to go somewhere else and do the other story. And maybe it's intentional for the beginning. And maybe it's just a matter of shuffling between shows, you know, between Mando and Rangers and Boba Fett. And I don't know, just a theory. Well, we'll find out how it all plays out as the season goes. Indeed we will. Um, mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on this episode? Or should we get into our ratings? I'm good, Steven. How about you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. okay. Tom, you want to kick things off? I'm going to kick it off. I'm giving the episode an eight. 
even though I had my issue with the music in that one section, and thank you, William, for setting it straight, that it actually was a retheming of a previous theme. Um, I did enjoy the episode. The, the, the Pershing thing did feel like it was an episode of Andor dropped in the middle of it. I, you know what? It was a good episode. I think what really got me was the whole Bo-Katan, Din Djarin, all that stuff, how it's going to play out going forward. And how she has now been accepted into this clan, how Pavisla is going to play out all this. That whole Mandalorian thing is going to be fascinating going forward and how they're going to tie the Pershing thing going into this. It's going to be fascinating as well. But I, I really am looking forward to watching all the Mando stuff play out. I am going to give the episode in eight and my Womp Rats. Well, um, they are actually the ones that are keeping track of who is trying to touch Mount. Um, uh, I forgot the name. They're the ones keeping track of who's trying to touch it. And then, uh, and they're not, it wasn't the droid who sat there and scared Dr. Pershing. It was one of the little uh, womp rats that jumped up from the little area that's around it and kind of touched him and bit his ankle to make him jump back. And then the droid came in and said, no touchy. Retconning. Yeah, I'm going to retcon it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna try and be more nicer to my to my womp rats. Oh, and by the way, they're gonna get his sucker because when the droid picked it up and said no littering, they're gonna give he's the droid's gonna give the womp rats a sucker as a treat for basically scaring Pershing away from touching the mountain. So there you go. Nice. Steven. Yeah, I I feel kind of mixed. Like i I think I'm just gonna give this episode like a seven and a half. Um it was definitely enjoyable. I I really enjoyed the the basically the caps, you know, beginning and end with Bo and Din. The stuff with Pershing was fine. Um, the writing wasn't quite as good as like Andor would have been, for example. But I thought it was serviceable. Like it was neat to see all these different pieces. It did just feel like you know we kind of talked about the beginning. Like it is kind of an episode from another show. Like well, if you describing this as like a scene out of Rangers of the New Republic makes a lot of sense. Um, it's not bad. I enjoyed it. I do want to see more Mandalorian and Bo-Katan and less Pershing, I guess. Um, this goes back to like that kind of discussion we had or my point I was making like in that first review of like, I don't feel like the Mandalorian is a great show to be like the linchpin of the Star Wars cinematic TV universe. Um, and this was a good example of that. Like, it's fine, but this show in my mind is about the Mandalorian. It's not about... Pershing and the adventures on Coruscant of things. Um, so yeah, I'll give it a seven and a half. Like I enjoyed it. Um, the thing I really appreciate is that episode did an amazing job of showcasing the new Republic's true priorities, which is, you know, creating new homes out of old star destroyers for womp rats. Um, it's a great use of, you know, recycling a material. You don't need the warships anymore. Just massive womp rat playgrounds and homes uh, I think they're really putting their money and resources into the right place. And uh, obviously my seven and a half Womp Rats were living in the the particular Star Destroyer that Pershing visited in this episode. But it's a great program. Okay, yeah. No, this was... I I enjoyed the episode, right? I thought it was a fun... Well, the, the beginning and end were were, were excellent. I, not a ton... Not, not really all that surprising, but it... I'm very excited about what their the groundwork they're laying with Bo-Katan hiding things. And, uh, and, and I'm very excited to see where they take 
the rest of you know that 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 main plot point um as far as the the pershing sequence goes i like dr pershing as a character quite a bit and it was it was nice to get to know him a bit more and see how coruscant is after you know after all of this time i've you know always been very curious what does coruscant look like after uh, after the empire uh, and it's cool to see, and we get to see like the Galaxy's Opera House. We get to see Monument Plaza. You know, it was a, um, it was a, it was definitely a a, a fun episode, uh, and I, I liked all of the the background and the the lore we got in this, um, even if it's not groundbreaking. Right, we got some great lore there. Um, you know, I would have, uh, I don't know, it, like, yeah, I'm very excited to see what happens with Din Djarin and, um and Bo-Katan, but it was a unexpected, but enjoyable, I guess, uh, divergence uh, at least for, for a little bit. I hope we go back to the main plot now, but we'll see. I don't know. We will see. It definitely feels like they did some shuffling between shows, but again, I kind of, I kind of feel like this is the fallout from book of Boba Fett still, but I don't know. We'll, we will see. Uh, Anyway, I'm going to give this episode, I feel like I'm rambling. I'm going to give this episode eight Womp Rats out of 10. And uh, these eight Womp Rats, um, it's actually, they actually just are one giant, you know, Womp Rat. You know, they kind of stay on top of each other. But they're actually, um, they these these eight Womp Rats are, they're actually the warlord leading the, um, you know, the empire taking over what's left of Gideon's forces. And they're the ones that bombed Bo-Katan's castle. So got to watch out for them. Um, so what do we have coming up next, William? Yeah, well, coming up next, we have the Bad Batch season two, episode 14 tipping point. It's the, uh, the very last episode before the two part season finale. So stay tuned for that. We'll have our review for you on Wednesday. And then uh, a couple days after that, we'll have our review of the Mandalorian chapter 20 that's season three episode four for those of you keeping track um, but yeah with that thank you all for joining us and we'll be back next wednesday just a couple days from now with our review of tipping point thanks for listening everybody thank you for listening to the ion cannon podcast your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far far away for over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.